next week, just talking about what the commandment, what the Ten Commandments, um, what are they to do with me? What are the Ten Commandments to do with me? What, how do they influence my life? And, and uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, I think it's a good question to ask. Uh, I was reading some interesting information about the Ten Commandments because there was a Bible college student in a certain Bible college and the, um, they had, had to write their, their end of written assignments and uh, it, was in, it was all about Old Testament Ten Commandments. And um, they made some bloopers as they wrote about the Ten Commandments and they didn't realize and here were some actual bloopers of things people wrote. They said, Moses, for instance, is one of them, Moses went up on Mount Sinai, as in the deadly chemical, uh, to get the ten, amuse, uh, t- the ten Amendments. Well, it wasn't the Ten Amendments. It might, might, that might be an American thing, but it wasn't a, a biblical thing. Another one wrote, the Seventh Commandment is, thou shall not admit adultery, uh, which is completely different to commit adultery. And unfortunately, the blooper that person made is um, also true. <laughs> sometimes one student thought he would um, put a little humor into his assignment on the Ten Commandments try and win over the um, win over the lecturer and he says Moses was the first person to use the internet because he downloaded Ten Commandments from the cloud into two tablets and you can get that thank you for laughing because <laughs> they're pretty much dad jokes really aren't they but anyway um you know, the truth is that you and I this morning, we didn't wake up this morning thinking about the Ten Commandments. And that's, that's understandable. We didn't think, you know, we don't walk into today or tomorrow or even this week, even necessarily running through them in our head. We shall not steal, don't commit adultery, you know, uh, blah, 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 and don't, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Now, it's not that they're not important, it's just that we don't think of those things. The truth is, is that there's the more of the questions that maybe run through our heads at different times can be more literal and practical. And some of the questions like, you know, uh, why honor my parents when they aren't perfect themselves? And, you know, why does all the stuff that I really have never really satisfy in the end? Or, um, you know, uh, things like, why, why do I allow anger to get on top of me sometimes? Why, why do I get angry? Why, why do I... How do I handle those people at work that aren't so easy to handle? Or why do I struggle sometimes to really forgive? And I know I should, but it's really difficult sometimes. And you know, if you would, uh, uh, I would suggest to you today, those are the type of questions that run through our thoughts every now and then. Um, and if I would suggest to you this today, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, give logical answers to such questions. And if you just give them some thought, uh, you, you'll find that the wonderful there's a wonderful answer that um, uh, that you can uh, uh, find within within that. Oh, we got some information coming in. Is it just me? Might be God. Okay. So um, I want to just encourage us today as we go through this that the Ten Commandments, and you know, sometimes we can just read them and we say, well, what do they really mean? Because if you just read them verbatim and, you, you, you know, maybe you kind of understand what they're basically saying, but sometimes it just takes a little bit of a look. And I want to say the Ten Commandments are not written um, isolated from the rest of Scripture. Uh, the Ten Commandments are written, uh, they're in Exodus and Deuteronomy particularly, and then Jesus quotes a couple, two commandments, which re- reflects the Ten Commandments in the New Testament, uh, love God, love people. But we see the, um, the, the, the whole of Scripture, the whole tenor of Scripture actually embraces, and at the very foundation of biblical truth, has to, it, it, the reality is, is these simple Ten uh, Commandments 
and principles and virtues that God has placed in the hands of originally a Jewish nation called Israel and then passed on down through the generations to today. You know, as I look at the Ten Commandments, I'm aware that a common reaction to the Ten Commandments can be that, you know, the Ten Commandments, aren't they a little bit outdated? Aren't they just a little bit outdated? I mean, they are 3,500 years old, and uh, some can think that um, humanity has moved on. Uh, but, you know, the truth is, old doesn't mean irrelevant, does it? <laughs> old can mean tried and tested. And if there's one thing about God's timeless wisdom, for you, it, it, it's that it's been tried and tested. And, um, and we can see to, in today's society, uh, you know, we've got better living standards, but I'm not quite sure if we've got better moral standards. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. said this, we have guided missiles, but misguided people. That's a concern. And, and there's a, there's, even though that was written several decades ago, it's a truth, isn't it? And so um, I believe the Ten Commandments are a source of wisdom for us all, and, and they, are, they are timeless, but not just timeless, I believe they are timely uh, for today as well. You know, there's another uh, common reaction to the Ten Commandments, and it's not just that they are maybe a little outdated, but also some people have said, oh, they're a bit obsolete, really. And even Christians can believe that sometimes. We don't, because they don't, we don't need the Ten Commandments because they've re been replaced by the teachings of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had someone say that to you. Well, you know, and because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we can just think, well, the Old Testament, uh, um, we can kind of put that aside. You know, we'll, we'll read it, but we'll just put it aside and we'll just focus on the New Testament. I've got news for you today. Jesus actually said himself in Matthew 5, 17, he says, do you not think that I've come to, a, I do not have come, not come to abolish the law or the Ten Commandments or the prophets, but I've come, not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. As Jesus himself said that, he upheld them. And we'll explore that a, a little bit later. So because of the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we have the benefits of salvation. But that doesn't mean that we don't need the commandments. You know, in 1976, uh, there was a wonderful day. I think it was, it was on a... a it was through a weekday around Christmas on a holiday, and I, re I committed my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was 13 years of age. And you know, the interesting thing, when I committed my life to Christ, I wasn't rushed to heaven, but I had to live on this earth and work out how to do life uh, for the rest of my life. And the truth is, the Ten Commandments and the great principles and truths that actually reflect how do we do life that's going to flourish, and with God's God's purpose that he had for all of us to live the fullest life and the best and most abundant life that we could live and so I'm glad that uh, I didn't go to heaven straight away when I became a Christian I'm glad God allowed me to live here and continue to live work out how to do it best and the Ten Commandments are a source of great wisdom and a source of great truth the third common reaction the Ten Commandments can be that they're oppressive I don't think probably any of us think that here today but there's the, the world can think when they look at the Ten Commandments you know, you're just trying to crowd me in. You're just trying to give me a set of rules. You're just trying to put stuff on me that doesn't allow freedom. And the trouble with that is we live in an age where everyone likes to define their own freedom. You know, I'll define what's right for me and you can define what's right for you. And some people, see, but the truth of that is some people see freedom as the right to abortion. <laughs> some people see, that, see freedom as the right to kill innocent people who live in other countries simply because they think it's their land. 
I don't think we need to, you know, I'm, I'm really shocked at myself sometimes on how, um, how uh, I, I could just start to, because it, I get bombarded with the continual messages of the world, that I'm not um, moved sometimes by what I see in the world. I, I, you know, and I think we need to be more and realize it isn't God's plan. People being killed, innocent people being killed in Ukraine isn't God's plan. <laughs> innocent child, children dying in the women isn't God's plan. And, and, I, and I, I'll be honest, I confess that sometimes I just become a little bit relaxed about that. And I think, Father, that's not your plan. And if only we'd come back to the realities of God's plan and principles for our lives, man, goodness, wouldn't it be a much better world? You know, I have three daughters uh, that uh, we've raised, and uh, so uh, I love them, and I was kind to them as I, as I were growing up. But, um, you know, and as I love them, the thing is, I didn't let them play handball on the front road of our house. We used to live in Park Street. It was the entrance to the hospital. Uh, you know, there's a lot of cars go there. They're going to get hit by a car. And why didn't I allow them to play handball on the front road? It's because I'm oppressive and want to keep them in, the, in, you know, tight to me. No, it's because I love and care for them. Because I've discovered they need, they don't, my, my children need more than love and kindness. They need, if they're going to survive this life, they needed, you know, wisdom and input and they needed to grow in maturity. And uh, if it was good for me and Michelle as parents to raise our children with love and care, but also input wisdom and encouragement in living right, how much better as our Heavenly Father want to do the same for us? And that is why the Ten Commandments are not oppressive, folks. They were actually the opposite. They were to release us into fulfilled life. Because sometimes, you know what I talked about last week? I said, you know, you take a fish and I think, and you, and that fish says, let me be free, let me be free. And, you know, it jumps out of the water on the land and says, I'm free, I'm free. But you know what? It soon dies, doesn't it? Because it was created to live within the, within the realms of a, a let's, let's just use the word restriction. And, you know, it, was, it needs to be restricted to the environment that it lives the best in. And the Ten Commandments provide an incredible um, insight into how we can live the best of our lives. Because we can sometimes jump out of what we think is okay and just live my personal preference. And it doesn't give us freedom. It actually destroys us. And so God has placed them there. Can we today move on now and just in the time we have, look at the 10, just at the first commandment, just, just one. And we're not going to necessarily go through these every week, just one at a time, because we'll handle several at a time. But, but I just wanted to, to draw your attention to the first commandment. We sang about it in the second song today. Uh, Zech, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 says, what? You shall have no other gods, and maybe that. Is it working, Sherry? Probably, possibly not. That's cool if it doesn't work. It says, you shall not have no other gods before who? Me, God said. Not me, but him. He says, no other gods before me. And the verse 4, he says, you shall not make for yourself a graved image, any likeness of anything that's heaven above, that's earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You know, I read this commandment and I think I'm doing really well. Uh, because, um, uh, I mean, I don't have a statue of a Buddha on my uh, mantelpiece. I don't have a picture of Muhammad up on the wall. I don't have any Eastern religious uh, pictures of anything. Uh, so I must be doing really well. I must be doing really well of this commandment. And, uh, and all of us could say the same thing. But I, the first commandment, it actually says, you notice it says, it's gods. Don't have any other what? Gods in my life. <laughs> and we could be tempted to think that way about the first commandment. Well, I've got no gods in my life. And 
if I was to give you a little bit of um, uh, uh, context to this, this, this particular um, first commandment, the ancient uh, East, where Moses lived and grew up, and the types of things that were considered, there's a lot of things that considered to be gods in those days. They used to worship the moon, the sun, animals, Egyptians. It's where the actual children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt. They used to worship animals. I mean, they had cats. They worshiped cats. I know a cat demands to be worshipped, <laughs> but I'm not going to worship a cat. You know, that's why you'll see ancient uh, drawings of cats, because or, uh, the Egyptians worship cats. So just appreciate this. The children of Israel come out of slavery. God brings them out of slavery through Moses, the deliverer. And then and, and after he brings them out, shows him his incredible love and passion, compassion for them. He then says, uh, his Ten Commandments, the very first one is, guess what? I don't want you to have any other gods besides me. What do you think he was saying? Because they'd been there for 400 years. Do you think they picked up a, a, probably a couple bad habits? And so God says, no other gods besides Throw away every other, no other statues, no other things. No, no, don't worship sun, moon, animals. Worship, just come and realize there's no other gods before me. In actual fact, to be honest, there's no other gods. It's just human uh, structures that we've built or human ideas you know, idols that we've created. So we see uh, uh, it unfolds, and, and we see why God says no to other gods, because the ancient society had so many other gods before the one true God. So let me explain a word to you just real quick, a word that we don't use every day, and I think it'll be really profitable for you to understand. And it's a word, um, the word is monotheism. It's made up of two words, mono meaning one, okay, so one, mono means one, uh, if you were to have a mono brow, that means you have one brow, not two. Anybody, that's not what we want, is it? We want two. But that's what it means. Mono means one. Theism or theos or, or theo, it actually means God. So if you put the two together, what you get is um, monotheism, meaning one God. Okay? That's what basically the Christian faith believes. That's what Ju uh, Judaism believes too. Jews believe that. And it's the heart of the Bible actually teaches that, that there's one God, not two gods, not a hundred gods, just one God. In actual fact, um, in the very first verse in the Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Aren't you glad about that? Uh, it wasn't God's. It wasn't the God of Thor. It wasn't the God of, uh, you know, um, uh, anything else or Zeus. It was one God. He created the heavens. It wasn't God's. And that seems to be a fairly sensible way uh, to start the Bible for you and me. We don't think any different when we see that scripture, do we? Um, it's up there, but not there. That's cool. Uh, so we don't see any difference. We don't think that's a, we think that's a good way. The truth is that the first line of the Bible and also the first commandment, ch church, was an incredible um, radical statement against the culture of the day. It was a radical statement. No wonder they hated the Christians. <laughs> All these other people who believed in many gods. And now there's this faith rises up and, they, and their God says, only one God. How dare they talk of only one God? What about my gods? And so we see this rising tide uh, and the radical shift from the culture of the day amongst the, the Jewish people and then the Christians who follow Jesus. Um. So what does that say? Does, that, that's all nice and good this morning. But what does it say about us this morning in this high-tech modern world we live in today? Uh, wh what is really the Ten Commandments saying? We, you know, we can believe that we live 
in a far more advanced world today, and we don't need these ancient belief systems. We could think that maybe, or people do think that. And, and also, I, I, I'd probably think to myself sometimes, well, I don't bow down to some ancient statue. But today's culture is much more subtle in their worship of other gods. We're much more subtle. Because really, if you think about any worship, and, and there's many definitions, but one I particularly, my personal favorite is, the, is that we put anything that we put above something else, or anything that we put above everything else, we, we give it more of our time, we give it more of our thoughts, we give it more of our heart. That's the thing that we worship. When you give it more of your time, your thoughts, your heart, that's the thing that we really, let's be honest, isn't it? And you know, the truth is, it doesn't often be, it's not highlighted by, you know, physical things that aren't necessarily like a statue or a picture of some ancient god or some deity. It's just the way that we live in our culture. There was a young man who came to, well, actually he wasn't so young, he was middle-aged probably, he came to Jesus one day. He was very passionate, he was a Jewish man, very passionate, and he came and knelt at Jesus' feet. It's recorded in, I won't go there, but Mark chapter 10, but I'll give you the story. He knelt at Jesus' feet, and he says, you know, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question, would you agree? Great question. We should all ask that question. But notice it was what he must do. Well, there is one thing he had to do, but he was thinking. Anyway, Jesus addressed it and said, you know what? You know the commandments. You know, he was a good Jewish, grew up as a good Jewish boy. He says, you know, do, do not commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud another. Honor your father and your mother. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus said that. And the man said, oh, you know, I've kept these since I was a young man. I've kept them all. So Jesus is, interesting enough, uh, we just pause at a moment in the, in the passage. Jesus now addressing this, this man, and he's saying, you know what? He's talking about the last six commandments of the ten. Did you notice that? The last six. Do you know what the last six commandments of the ten are? The last six commandments is all about relationship with who? Other people. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal. It's all about our relationship with other people. That's the last six. So Jesus is saying to the young man, well, you know, keep your nose clean, love people, look after people. And the young man says, you know what? I've done that all my life. Jesus says, okay. Now Jesus is setting him up because he wants him to, to grab something here. And then we see Jesus says, okay, uh, you've done them all your life. He says, go and, because this man was quite a wealthy man. He says, go and give, give all your stuff to the poor, sell your riches. Uh, and give to the poor and uh, come and follow me and take up your cross and follow me. And it says the young man went away sad. He went away sad. Now, hopefully he thought about it enough to do what Jesus said, but it was more than just literally him doing that. It was more about his heart attitude to the things of this world. Now, what, what Jesus is doing is says, you know, young man, you've got the last six commandments down pat, but the first four commandments before the last six are all about relationship with God. Because, you know, keep the Sabbath, uh, honor God, don't keep his name in vain. They're all about our relationship with God. If you listen to last week's uh, podcast, you'll get that message stronger, quite strong. But the reality is, is that there was four commandments in relationship with God, six in relationship with other people. And uh, the, the young man had the six right, but he didn't have the first four going well. And who knows, you can have a great relationship with people, but the truth is we could still worship other little things subtly and not have a relationship, not putting God first. And this young man discovered that that day. And he had to face the reality. He wasn't where he really should be. Because it was all about what he'd done. 
and was not about who he worshipped. And he, and he, unmist- he mistakenly had worshipped what he had because he couldn't give it up. He couldn't put it second or third. He, had to, he walked away sad when Jesus said that. I mean, it was a pretty big call, wasn't it? Go and sell what you have and give to the poor. But it was a hard attitude Jesus was trying to establish. So while this man had a relationship with others going well, not with God, the Bible says the man went away sad. And, you know, we don't literally bow down to anything, do we? Don't, we don't bow to anything, usually. You don't find us in our room bowing to any little statues. But what we do is we bow our hearts, sometimes this world does, to the gods of the present day world. And it challenges me. We bow it sometimes to stuff. We bow it to sex. We bow, the world bows to money or sport or food or body image or career or popularity. And we haven't got statues for those type of things. We just have heart, established heart little heart issues. And so the first commandment has been given first place because it's asked us to place God above everything else in our lives. And it's a great reminder of, of to challenge us because the, there's days when I just, I think that sometimes I put God first, but you can just, your heart gets distracted or your heart gets caught up or you just get, oh, I just, I've just got to watch that show <laughs> or I've just got to do that. Well, do you? Or I've just got to have that particular thing. And, you know, it doesn't, it's not like we do it um, knowingly, but we slip into that mode sometimes. And God just says, and you know what? God's not going to beat you up, folks. He loves you. <laughs> he wants the best for you. But you know what? There will be a conscience, and he'll tap on your shoulder sometimes and say, don't, don't place it first. And he, he says that for a reason. And I want to explain that. Because the, the, the monotheistic, monotheistic belief that you have, or, or I believe one God, and your morality are linked. Your, your, you know, morality is all the things that you know you want to do that are right to yourself and to other people. So the our one God belief and our morality are linked. And if the truth is, they are linked, and they're linked together for a reason. Because if there's no God that created us and no God that we can look up to, then our outright, sorry, our right and wrong living are nothing more than just so, social rules that are nice to do uh, and make us feel good. But there's a reason for doing the right things. And if there's no God, we are left to try and figure it out ourselves. If there's no Heavenly Father, if there's no higher court. And if you ever notice, the more society doesn't believe in God, the more they struggle to come to grips with living right and seeking just to do the right thing. With no God. When there's a void of God, people will fill it with whatever they can fill it. And so they will say, truth is, is what you make it. Truth is what you make it. And if we erase God, there is no one, uh, there's no, no one out there to define what is right or wrong or what is nice and what's ugly. There's just nothing to define it. And so we're not quite sure of the framework of our morality. And thus we have a world that steps that has it says, well, I've got freedom to do what I want to do and go where I want to go. And then they find themselves terribly hurt, terrible lonely, and wondering what, what, what went wrong. In 19, uh, 1956, in the concrete jungles of New York, in a, sub, a couple of suburbs called Brooklyn and Harlem, a young man was sent 
as a 15-year-old by his parents to live with his uncle. In those concrete jungles, housing commission, high-rise buildings, um, um, thousands and thousands of young people live in, in the midst of their being rejected by families and struggles. They uh, form gangs and there was more murders um, per, per square meter than almost anywhere else in the world in that place in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. The young man's name, he was only 15, but his name was Nicky Cruz. And some of you will remember that because there was a movie called The Cross and the Switchblade. It's a great movie. It's an old movie, but it's still great to watch. I just read the book again because I just wanted to be challenged about the lost. <laughs> and, you know, Nicky Cruz by his parents was told, because his parents were um, uh, practiced witchcraft and spiritualism. And they told, they couldn't control their son. And they said to his son, you are the son of Satan. That's what they called him. And said, you are demon possessed. And they sent him to his uncle in Harlem, New, downtown New York. Of course, Nicky joined a gang at the age of not long after he got there. He found some kind of solace and some kind of, com, uh, you know, friendship in that gang. And they went about beating up other gang members and raping and pillaging and stealing. And the police had very little control over at those times. Into that whole mismatch of, of uh, uh, terrible humanities came a man called David Wilkinson. He was a pastor. God spoke to him one night and said, you've got to go and help those young men. He went into that, and to cut a long story short, within a couple of years, he, he had established, he, he had, the first thing he'd done, he joined with some of the other little churches that were there trying to survive in that environment, and they had a youth rally. And that night, they had five nights of the youth rally, and the first four nights of the youth rally, probably 100, in a, in a, in a 4,000 seat auditorium, 100 or so people turned up, a couple of youth. And the youth that did turn up just distracted and disrupted the whole meeting. And to be honest, David Wilkins said the first four nights were a complete failure. The fifth night, they'd gone out and they'd challenged all the gang members to come. They said, what's wrong? What are you scared about? And they'd got buses to bring them because they had to, some of the gangs had to cross other gang members' turf and they were scared to walk through their turfs. And so they got buses that shipped them there. And it was about... About a thousand young people turned up on the fifth night. Nicky Cruz with his gang, he was now the warlord, or you know, he wasn't the leader, he was the warlord of the Mau Maus. He turned up. He'd already, t he'd already met David Wilkinson on the street and told him as he put a knife to his chest and said, you come near me and I'll cut you into pieces. David Wilkinson said to him that famous line, Nicky, you could cut me into pieces and every piece would still love you. That got to Nicky because he'd never been told he was loved. All he'd been told is he was the son of Satan and he was an incredibly wicked man. So that night he came reluctantly to the fifth night of the, of the meeting. And David Wilkinson, they were disrupting. If you can think a hundred youth could disrupt the meeting, what, imagine what a thousand could do. A young lady came out to sing and they, she couldn't finish the song, they said, because they just woof whistled and carried on. David Wilkinson went out to the middle of the stage and he said to the, he said, I want someone to take up the offering tonight. Nicky was rushed forward. He got three of his other um, gang members to come with him. They grabbed the cartons. David said, take up the offering. Come behind that curtain up onto the stage steps and up here and give me the cartons. Everybody knew behind the stage steps there was an exit door. So what David Wilkinson was doing was going to test them. 
They took up the offering. They went behind the, behind the curtain. And Nicky, in his own words, he said, I stood there for five minutes. The other three gang members were saying, Nicky, let's get out of here. Get out of here. Here's the, ent- here's the exit. Let's go. Nicky felt, he says, I couldn't control it, but I thought, you know what? That preacher thinks I'm going to run. I'm not going to do what he want, thinks. <laughs> and so we, they, he said, we're going up on stage. We're going to give him the money. They gave him the money. They sat back down. Something it was chun- ch- you know, uh, pulling at his heart. David Wilkinson gave a very short mess- gospel message. He said, come forward. He asked the Holy Spirit to touch lives. Young men started to weep. Nicky came forward. He committed his life to Christ. And that night, he says in his own words, all the evil just seemed to drain out and all the good seemed to drain in. And about 30 young men and women committed their life to Christ. And that was the start of it. I want to say this. Why would I tell you such a story? I just want to tell you, you see, in 1962, Two, by 1962, 2,500 young men and women had given their life to Christ out of drug addiction, pornography, uh, 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 prostitution. You think of it, they were doing it. And, it was, uh, and Teen Challenge was birthed. But I want to tell you what was really happening beneath the season, uh, beneath, the, beneath the surface. If, you see, if the world um, leaves God out of the beliefs, then what is right and wrong becomes just a matter of personal preference. And for these young people, what was right and wrong was just no one gave them any framework to live by. They just had a personal preference. And they did what natural our flesh screams and yells for all of us to do. All of us. They made their own rules on how to treat others. There were more deaths, as I said, and stabbings and shootings than any other, probably any other area of the world at the time. But the message of God that David Wilkinson gave these young people, gave them a framework of reference to live by. And all heaven broke, broke out in those suburbs of New York. And the Holy Spirit touched the lives of these young people. It's interesting, when the world is confronted with a different freedom than what they think is freedom, it's amazing how much change can actually take place. You see, folks, we live in a world where personal preference is all out there. But what about if my personal preference hurts other people and affects their lives so bad? What if, I, what if I believe that women are less valuable than men? Because there are some beliefs on the world stage that say women need to be less educated. They, should ha- they shouldn't have the right to study or vote. And you're well aware of those kind of nations. That's rubbish. That's the kind of thoughts that happen in this world today. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from God, does it? What about if I believe sex should be free of commitment and free of consequences? Well, you know what's going to happen? It's going to affect a lot of children who have to grow up without a dad or maybe without a mom or even without parents as those children are orphaned off or given away. That's the result, isn't it? So the decisions that I make does affect you and the, the, the decision you make does affect me. And you can see that if there's no God, there's no higher court of appeal, that, which is, and there's no, there's no definition of what's right and wrong. Now, I'm not telling you anything new today, but I just want to establish and encourage us to see that God established this simple little number one commandment. He says, no other gods before me. It wasn't just a nice thing to do on the day and write with his finger on a stone tablet and give it to Moses. No, there was an incredible principle of life behind it. Because when we follow the, the truth of what God's Word and what He says, it's amazing how much freedom we have. It's amazing how much truth we can live by. 
And see, God has imprinted a moral order on this universe that gives us a framework to live well and to flourish. And that's why God said, you're the gods before me. Um, and the truth is, if you don't have the number one commandment, no other gods before me, you can throw away the other nine. Because if you don't put God before everything else, the other nine don't really matter. And, and if you have many gods that you're believing in, I mean, which version of their principles, which version do you believe? You know, well, God has one version, one truth, one God. Can you see why the commandments of make no other God before me is important? Because it's the foundation for our lives, but also for all the other nine commandments. And the wonderful thing is God in the Old Testament gave us the Ten Commandments so we should flourish in life. And then in the New Testament, He continued the same thing by sending Jesus to continue to show us how to live and to show us what God's like. And uh, Jesus was asked, what is the one commandment we need to live by? And Jesus said, I'll give you two. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love neighbor as you love your what? Self. And so basically, love God, love people, and out of that. See, the Ten Commandments are reflected in God's character and nature. And Jesus Christ is the accumulation of that. Um, Romans 10.4 says Christ is the accumulation or the climax of the law. And this it says Christ is, is the end. Don't be... Don't get that word end wrong. It's not a good English translation, but it's okay. But end doesn't mean the end of the Ten Commandments. It means accumulation, the climax of the Ten Commandments. Jesus Christ in His death, uh, in His life, death and resurrection was the accumulation of the Ten Commandments. That was when boiled down became two, love God, love people. And Jesus came that we might have life. That, and I love the reality now is that, that when, we, when we live... See, we're not saved by just doing the Ten Commandments, folks. We don't receive eternal life by just doing the Ten Commandments. Unlike the young, that man who thought he would be, uh, Jesus, you know, who talked to Jesus, we are saved by believing in the one who gave us the Ten Commandments. So that we can then live by the Ten Commandments, not out of duty, but out of a loving relationship with Christ. Can we stand today? Thank you. We, we're going to, as I ask the team to come. I probably haven't said anything that you don't know today already, but I just pray that you would pause for a moment in today, and maybe just right now, and just be reflective, because I, like you, could say I'm really doing well for this number one commandment. I'm, I've got it down pat, but then when I dig a little deeper into my heart and soul, and then sometimes I just see the distractions and the things that I kind of I just nudge Jesus off the throne of my life and just allow some other things to take place there. And it really challenges me and, and really um, saying, you know, and then I asked the question, well, why God? And God says, you know what? Because I want to give you a framework that blesses you and not detracts from your life. I want to give you a framework of morality that helps you live your best version of what God created you for. And ultimately, it's not, it's about following Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, as we come to Jesus Christ, accept what He did for us, it's amazing how what flows out of that is an incredible desire just to be obedient to God 
and his ways and his for us. You know, I always remember growing up, I had mum and dad that loved me and they were, they were perfect by, by any stretch of the imagination, but they certainly loved me and I felt that. And you know what? I, I just wanted to grow up kind of pleasing them. And we all have a desire just to be please someone, whether it's parents, a friend, whether it's a whatever it may be. And you know, ultimately, we could just let that desire flow over. And I just want to please you, God, and have your smile. I just want to be obedient to you, not because I have to and it's a duty, but because I just want to. And that comes out of relationship, not out of a religious legalism that says you do this or else. Folks, if it's that's the case, it never was the case with God. And if you listen to last week's message, you'll see that God loved us before He brought, He loved the children of Israel before He brought them out of slavery. And then He gave them Ten Commandments. He didn't stand on the edge of Egypt and say, okay, fulfill these Ten Laws and Commandments and I'll let you out. He doesn't say that for salvation. As long as you do this, I'll let you become a Christian. No, you can become a Christian just by receiving Him and accepting what Jesus Christ done. And believing in Him. Could we just close our eyes for a moment? We're going to sing a song in a moment, but I just want you to be reflective of that today. So where do I stand today? Do I, have I allowed something just to creep in there that I worship? Unbeknown to me, I've just, maybe a better terminology is just allowed to become first place instead of further. It's not necessarily wrong. Money's not wrong. Sex is not wrong. It, but in the right context, in the right place, it's incredibly incredible blessing, but out of context and out of the right place, it's a credible disaster. What do we put first? What do we put first? And he just says, come on, like the young man, he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. In actual fact, he even challenges the young man. He says, you know what, it's going to be a bit of a cross experience. You're going to face some things you're going to have to, it's not going to be all, you know, ice cream and roses. There's going to be some things you're going to have to face. And, but you know what? <laughs> it makes it all that more rewarding when we climb that hill and say, you know what? I've, 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 uh, in Him, in my weakness, I can know His strength to come through. In His grace, His love is, is shed for, His blood was shed for me. So today, Lord, I just want to pray. I just pray for your people today, that we would be people that would just sense that call again today, that you want us to draw closer, that you want us to walk with you and not apart from you, that you have a plan and purpose for our lives. And you know, today, I just, some of us maybe need to respond to Jesus Christ, either for the very first time or maybe again today. And you know what? If you need to, I, I just want to give you a prayer that you could pray. You know, last weekend this happened, people, several people just simply made this their prayer and came and told me and committed their life to Christ. But you know, it's a simple prayer like this. Heavenly Father, I come to you today, I acknowledge that I have failed, that I have sinned, I've done the wrong thing. And I, I would accept the fact that as I come to you, that you died for me to take away my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness and you would forgive me. And I thank you for that forgiveness. I receive that into my life and I receive you into my life by faith through the Holy Spirit, your presence right here now. And I thank you for that. And I thank you that you make me a child of God and I can trust you. Help me to walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a prayer like that that can change not just the course of today, but the course of your life. 
And if you make that your prayer, please, if you are going to make that, that your prayer today, tell someone. Don't walk out the doors if you don't tell someone. But that's the type of prayer you need to pray. Come on, let's just worship for a moment this last song. Thanks, team. You've been very patient.